You are listening to SelfDiscoveryRadio.com with an orchard of wisdom just ready for your picking, filled with illuminating, inspiring stories. Do check out the community and the discovery stores. We are here for you. Our next show is... Hello everyone and welcome to Self-Discovery Radio. This is Thoughts Become Things International, retraining your thought process. I'm Nehemiah Davila, a.k.a. Neo Positivity, and as always, I bring you the best of the best. Now this week, I have someone with me that specializes in grief, okay? I always use a comparison with people, uh, you know, controlling your thoughts is the hardest thing a person can do. Um, controlling one mind is the hardest occupation a man can have according to both science and religion. And people are, people always kill me because they're like, oh, I have control. I can think about whatever I want. And I always compare it to having a loved one in the hospital and how the what ifs just keep on coming over and over again. I tell them, you know, I tell them to think back to that time and, um, and that's when they get it. Like, okay, I see what you mean. It is hard to control your thoughts because sometimes it just beats your head in. Depression, anger, grief. And today we're going to be talking about grief. I have a grief specialist with me, uh, technically, I'll say it right. She is uh, a personal coach specializing in grief from loss. Everyone welcome, and debut. Anne, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. Anne is coming to us all the way from Ottawa, Canada. And uh, she's going to give us a little bit of background about herself first, because... Yeah, um, I always like to say your life is your resume. You know, what you've been through, where you've been at, and uh, let people know a little bit about you. Okay. Thank you. Well, it would appear when I look back on my life, it has been preparing me to, um, I guess I've had many, many losses in my life, and I've had many experiences. So now I can look upon those and I can share with people whether it's the, the death of a loved one, a job loss, divorce, um, a pet loss even. Been there, done that, and I have that empathy. I know what that feels like. So it's almost as if my life has been preparing me for this one moment. I have a nursing background. I um, have always worked in the healthcare field. I haven't worked as a nurse for oh, many, many years, probably since coming to Canada, but I have been in that environment. Um, it just seems to be the healing, the helping environment mm -hmm. has been my thing. So when I retired and I realized that I could do anything I wanted, I realized that becoming a grief coach was near and dear to my heart. So I trained and that's brought me to this latest evolution in my journey. Now, your subject is so unique. Um, you know, I know people are like, how thought become things tie in the groove? Well, we're going to get into all that in a second. We got to work you up to it. Uh, but you said something that, that made a lot of sense. Uh, my daughter, she's since been watching a lot of uh, Grey's Anatomy. She wants to be a, a brain surgeon, so she's trying oh, to get really? a feel. She's trying to get a feel for doing residency and stuff. And every time I pass by a room, someone's passing away or giving bad news on that show. I've never really watched it myself, but so in the hospital, all the all the healing and caring is going on, and then you know someone passes, and then they kick you out. They send you home, and now you're on your own to like post hospital healing of yourself that needs to go on and in life I know the schools don't really prepare us for that I always say the schools should have a subject called thoughts they really should to teach us how our brain works how our mind you know thoughts and all that other stuff so how is it that you coach people through this process I know that's I know that's a question a question that it probably take four hours to answer. But um, <laughs> I was going to ask you how, much, how long do we have? <laughs> because the human mentality is just ah. Uh, but you know, like you had said to me a little while ago before the show, you know, our parents don't really, you know, teach us about this. You know, to, give it to everybody the way you gave it to me earlier. Okay, let me see. Where did I start? Um, how we're not taught to deal with grief, basically, growing we're, up. We're not. If uh, you have a, 
let's go back to where a lot of people can relate to your first love, your first breakup, girlfriend, boyfriend. What did your parents say to you? Oh, there's, you know, they're there. You'll be, you'll be fine. Just go out. There's plenty more fish in the sea. Mm -hmm. You'll get over this. Just, just start dating again. And even your friends are probably telling you this. Oh, it wasn't worth it. She, oh, she wasn't worth it. Uh, just go, go get somebody else. So people have that belief. Well, if it doesn't work out, then I'll just go and get something else. And what happens if your pet dies? I mean, my goodness. Uh, children need to be, I mean, that's an amazing experience for a child to be taught about, even if it's a goldfish, Mm -hmm. They love, they care, you care for it. That's all part of being human. It's all part of, of, of love and it's all part of losing that something that you love. Rather than saying, oh, well, we'll just get, we'll bury the fish and we'll, he's gone to heaven and we'll get another fish or another dog, what have you. They don't allow themselves or the child to experience those, those emotions because they probably can't be with the emotions themselves. Um, how many of us can remember our parents either saying, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you a good slap. <laughs> um, or here, have a cookie. Or, or do, just stop crying and, and you can have this, some reward. So we grow up discounting those emotions. So when something major, like a, a death of a loved one, happens to us, we're clueless. It's almost as if we're going to feel the emotions, but we don't even have any understanding of what the feelings or the emotions are that are coming up because they're coming up fast and furiously. You can have anger, you can have sadness, you can have guilt, you can have the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. You can cry, cry unconsolably and then the next minute you can be laughing and then you feel guilty because you're laughing. And what the heck's happening to you? <laughs> So you've got these emotions. Then you've got this wonderful thing that goes on in your brain. I call it grief brain. And there are all kinds of neurochemicals that are floating around because grief is almost, uh, you, it's almost as if your body has gone into protection mode, uh, the, the fight and or flight syndrome. You've gone into that ancient part of your brain, uh, the amygdala. So you've got the adrenaline, you've got the cortisol, pumping out. You're feeling very low because you're disconnected from that part of the brain that will put out the dopamines, the serotonins, mm -hmm. the, the feel-good, the bonding hormones that allow you to remain happy and connected. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> it's, it's, just, when, it's just so funny because you, you made me realize something that a lot of people don't say out loud and it, and it's none of that stuff is helping you know what i mean like when when, it, when like we were saying earlier about the parents telling the kids give them a cookie or telling them to stop or even with the breakup oh there's plenty of other fish in the sea those are all things people say but in that moment when you are the victim let's say uh none of that's helping <laughs> none of that's helping but why be the victim i know that's that's a big thing how do you how does being a victim play in with recovery because if it's if it's a death in the family uh, or a situation like that you are the victim because something was snatched from you and it hurts mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. staying a victim in any situation has to be an unhealthy thing oh absolutely i go back to we're humans we have needs and when we're not getting those needs met, we will do our damnedest to get them met. So you're grieving, all of a sudden you're having a lot of attention, a lot of care, a lot of love is being poured on you. Mm -hmm. And if you, if those have been some of your needs uh, that haven't been met and they, they then go, then of course you're going to remain a victim because that's helping get that need met. It's as if, um, I mean, support groups are fabulous, but the danger is 
unless there's a start and end date, if somebody's gone to a support group and they're suddenly feeling so much better, they will be reluctant to sort of say, I don't need this group anymore because they have enjoyed being part of the group. They've mm. shared an experience. So they're going to stay perhaps stuck longer in that mode of victimhood rather than I'm ready to move on with my life. So how do you coach someone out of that? And especially when you're not around. Because when you're sitting in front of them, it's easy. Not easy, but you know, it's way easier but you, to implement something in their mind that will work, you know, the other all the hours out of the week that they're not with you. What is it that you you give them? Well, I have a number of coaching tools. Mm -hmm. So when I take a client on, they have to be 100% committed. They have to be prepared to take action. And they have to be willing to be supported. So I'll support them. I'll give them the tools. And I'll give them homework. So we are practicing with a tool during that um, one-hour coaching session, then I will send them the tool, I teach them it, and they can take it home. And if they have issues or whatever, they're more than welcome to email me, or we can talk about it at the next one. So as we're going through the coaching, it's almost as if we are laying the foundations. I'm helping them work on those thoughts that are keeping them stuck in the victimhood and I'm challenging their, their beliefs, the way of thinking. Now a lot of people um, there's the three P's, personal pervasive and permanent okay. so I teach my clients about those I teach them how when they're feeling sad or guilty or angry I have a tool that will help them talk themselves almost out of the victimhood up to the next level so okay. that it's increasing their energy. So I'm giving them tools and we're practicing them throughout their time with me. So they've got them and mm -hmm. hopefully it's their choice whether they wish to continue to do that. But I do give them that. Because it really is about your state of mind. And the state of mind can change like that. You know, I hate to give this example, but no matter what's going on in your life, you know, if somebody runs up on you with a gun and says, give me your wallet, everything just changed. <laughs> no matter what's going on. I, like I said, I hate to use that example, but it is all about the state of mind. And I love the idea of homework. I always hated homework growing up, but I definitely give homework to my clients because it's that important. And that actually makes me want to ask you, because I know you've had clients that went home and didn't do the work. And then they come to you and they're asking why your advice and your tips and your hints and your coaching isn't working 100%. But they expect it to, you know, they, it's like, you're not doing the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so to kick them in the butt, I guess to say, you know, do, what do you do in that situation? This, one, this, this question is for me, you know, because I... I <laughs> I hate this so much. Trying to teach people thoughts become things is, is hard enough because they only believe it's for the good stuff. It's not for the bad stuff that happens mm -hmm. to them. So they're 50-50 believers in it. And if they're not millionaires by week two, or actually by day three, if they're not millionaires, now they're looking at me like I'm wrong. Like I just cheated them out of something. And I'm like, it takes a long time for one, and you're not doing the work. You know, so how, how, how do you kick them in the butt? Give them a reality check. Sometimes I got to... My stuff, I give them reality checks. You know, I ask them, mm -hmm. how do you expect a flower to bloom with no nourishment? You know, I hit them with, with, with a lot of analogies and things like that. How is it you handle that? Well, I will, um, like a client I had yesterday, we had spent the whole week going over this very sticky, guilty thought that she had. And, oh, I had got her past it, and she was laughing at the end of the, the session. Something happened, and she's not one of these ones that doesn't do the work, but something had happened, and it pulled her back into that energy again. So then I had to spend a lot of time um, explaining, well, you got it last week. I mentioned, um, you know, I, I pull it out of them. 
And she says, well, this is something I'm trying to do differently. So then I will explain, well, it's like a muscle. If you're at the gym trying to get your biceps larger, you know, you're not going to get them just by two or three pumps. You're going to have to go and do that regularly. Learning these tools is like a muscle. So I then had to say, you got it last week. You know that it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to go back. And it's basically just giving them that reassurance. You got it. Let's move forward. It's a muscle. You need to keep working it. Does that help? Yes, the brain is a muscle. It has muscle memory. I'm always telling that to people. That's such a, that's such a huge thing. And uh, it's, it's funny. I use the bicep example, too. You know what I mean? Because uh, <laughs> Oh, scary. <laughs> I, I use it a lot for meditation because it's like, I always say the brain is a muscle, has muscle memory. If you're training for a weightlifting competition, you pump that iron, and then I do the bicep thing with my arm. But when you're trying to train your your mind to slow down, you have to practice slowing it down. Yeah. You know, and that's you know that's how I I get into meditation. Do you meditate? Oh, I do. You do how 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 much time a day do you would you say you spend meditating? I would like to spend an hour. I have done that. But my schedule, if I can do between 15 to 20 minutes, that's that's good. Okay. Um, because I am sort of doing a meditation when I'm working with my clients because I'll go into meditation before a coaching call. So I've done my morning meditation and then throughout the day with my clients. Okay. All right, yeah, that was a little, a little off topic, but I just wanted to get into that real quick. People, you got to understand how important meditation is. So many oh. people say they don't have time for it, da-da-da-da, but you got to understand. If you want to change your life, you first have to change the way you think. And if you want to change the way you think, one of the easiest ways to get control of your mind is to meditate. All your life, your brain has just been going solving problems one after another, running scenarios, solving problems over and over and over again. It doesn't know how to slow down. So when you actually try to slow it down, yes, you're going to meet resistance. You, it's, it's do you know necessary. what I say to my clients when they say, I don't have time to meditate? I say, do you have time to go to the washroom? There you go. There you go. Well, while you're there, what else can you do? Breathe. Put, put the phone yes. down. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. Everybody, everybody checks Facebook and Twitter when they get to the bathroom. No, put the phone down. And know. stop breathing. Put the phone down. And if and if you're walking up the stairs or walking down the hallway, take a second to just relax. Stay present and just you're going to start smiling out of nowhere. And someone might see you and say, what are you smiling for? And you tell them life. And, they're, you know, they're going to think what they think, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a good thought. And they'll probably do the same thing. And by they, probably talking about your children. And that's who you want to be celebrating life for no reason. You know, because that just brings about a better life. But we went off topic a little bit. Let's get back to uh, uh, grieving because that's a, that's such a huge subject. And I was talking earlier about how I always ask people to think about the last time they had a family member in the hospital. Now, that repeated nagging thought that that's coming at you when you're grieving. Okay, what are some of the ways that that you coach people through that and how much do you emphasize acceptance in 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 the aftermath of something you know that happens the acceptance part i like to coach um for three months because then i can really take them through the heartbreak part of it we're sort of laying the foundations and then we can sort of get them into the acceptance the forgiveness the accepting and the letting go it's a process. So So you don't even bring up acceptance at first. Oh gosh, no. Okay, all right. Gosh. <laughs> oh gosh, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> that's the last thing you that's the last it thing you want to do is just run up in somebody's face and say, Listen, accept it, all right. <laughs> <laughs> that person unfortunately has died and you're just going to have to accept it. No no no, that would not go down no, well at all. <laughs> that's how you get fired, ASAP. <laughs> oh absolutely. Um Grief is about a broken heart, not about a broken head. The head truly wants to move on. It's, yeah, okay, accept it, let's forgive, let's, let's move on. And that's why a lot of people will go, well, I'll just deny my, what I'm feeling, 
I, I, I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to get busy with work. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to deny what it is I'm feeling. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll fit, make myself feel better if I just don't look at it. We just move on with life and we get super busy. So a lot of people will deal with it that way rather than looking at it. Um, I've gone off topic. Can Is you it, remind me of your question? <laughs> no, it was uh, uh, the moving, moving on part. I actually wanted to ask you about the whole selfish. Moving oh. on, people seeing that as being selfish. How is it? How do you feel about that? What What's being selfish? Moving on. But, oh, absolutely. Well, that would be the guilt. I mean, the person has died for whatever reason. That was their life. This is your life. And so many people will stop themselves from moving on because of the guilt. It's the guilt. If I move on, what will people think of me? I, I can't have loved that person very much if I'm now moving on with my life. Mm, there we go. So that can hold a lot of people. It's the guilt. I don't deserve to be happy. They're no longer here. How can I be happy? And they'll go into that whole spiral, basically. You know, what's the craziest part about that is there will be outside influences, and what I mean by that is other people who are going to mm-hmm. even strengthen that, making people oh. feel worse about mm-hmm. moving on. Um, yeah. But, you know, moving on is actually, a, it's, a, it's one of the, not the last steps, but it's further down the line after you've accepted and done some of the things. Let's backtrack a little bit to right after something, you know, right after an incident happens, and then you got a person who's feeling a different type of guilt, that I should have done this, I could have done this, you know, how mm-hmm. is it? How do you get through people through that part? Because after someone's gone, and and that person is convinced, had I done this, they might still be here. That is a really, really tough thing. It was it, the movie Straight Outta Compton. The guy's his brother had passed away, and he was crying. And his friend, he said, "I should have had my brother here with me. This wouldn't have happened." And um, and his friend said it couldn't have happened any other way. And that was some. That was like the most powerful thing I'd ever heard before. He said it couldn't have happened any other way. And he looked at him. He was he was angry as heck. You know, he just looked at him, but he kind of you know just put his head back down. And that right there is like powerful, powerful, powerful. How is it you you know get somebody through that that part of this uh, progression? Well, I have a couple of methods. I have a tool that I get them to use, but very often before we go there. If they're so adamant that they should have or they could have or the what-ifs, I get them to look at it. Okay, how would the outcome have been different if you had have done that? So I get them, well, if I'd have called the doctor or if I had have uh, rung for a nurse sooner or if I had have been more available, they wouldn't have died. Mm-hmm. So I then get them to look at it, all right, well, okay, if you were there, how would that have helped you? Well, I could have got the nurse. All right, you could have got the nurse, and they didn't die this time. But, you know, you have to go home um, and take care of yourself. What happens when you're not there? How can that happen? I'll give you um, a, a brilliant, this is a personal story, But I think it really demonstrates how I could have so easily have gotten into it. I'm a nurse. My dad had been sick for a week. Mum kept calling. Um, He'd fallen. And I would say, do you need me to come up? Just leave it with me. Um, I'll, I'll get back to you. And then she would call. It's okay. I've got him into bed. We're okay. We're doing fine. And I had a few calls this way. I was tired. My job was pretty demanding, so I was very grateful. So then by the end of the week, I get a call that my dad's been taken to hospital. I go in, and I'm standing there with Mum. You can imagine what I'm saying to myself. I shoulda, coulda, why didn't I? When I started to explain this to Mum, she looked at me in, in the eyes, and she said, don't you even go there. We. This is what our last 
hours, weeks, days together were like. And she explained, and it was intimate, it was loving, it was kind, it was beautiful. Had Anne, the daughter, gone up to help her parents, it wouldn't have been Anne, the daughter, it would have been Anne, the nurse. That nurse would have took one look at her dad and said, he's going to hospital. The ambulance would have been called to hospital. How could my mom and dad have had those precious intimate moments, mom lying on the bed next to her husband of 60 plus years, talking, I love you, and laughing and, and joking. And to me, that was just such a precious moment. Hmm. Yeah, wow, that was, uh, yeah. That's so a- I've never gone into that because I've looked at it and I've just explained, had I have gone, it wouldn't have been the daughter, it would have been the nurse and I would have robbed them. So sometimes we just don't know and going into the guilt is, is nothing more than you've broken a boundary. It's probably more shame than actual guilt. Mm-hmm. Because guilt's really a, you're either guilty or you're not. It's more of a judgment, isn't it? So you've either broken something within your own code of ethics that creates it, but it's more like the shame that you're feeling. So anyway, I hope that helps. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. I actually want to know, I actually want to get into... Uh... Because you're making me, I'm really sitting back. I'm, I'm in a therapy chair right now. Um, <laughs> you were telling me before how you start off your sessions. And mm. I, I'm so big on the starts of things. How we start our day. How you start a video. How you start a meditation session. How I start. And I get into these rituals. And I, and I, I, I tweak them and change them to make them better. Um, how is it you start off your session? All the steps you go to. Because I, I, I okay. was talking to Ann earlier. I, yeah, I cheated a little bit. <laughs> I was talking to her, and she said something profound. She starts off her sessions with bringing the person to the moment and, and like, a little meditation, being present. And she's one of the first people I've heard say that. And that's something that I do with myself 50 times, as many times a day as I can, because I have all these sessions. I have a lot of sessions every day with myself, and especially with clients. So, Anne, give us a little bit of your personalized, you know, uh, mm-hmm. beginnings. Well, this all came up, uh, came about when I was at the Grief Coach Academy. I was doing my training, and and this comes from my mentor Aurora Winters. And I I use her little prayer. This is one that she wrote because I find it so meaningful, and I really appreciated my time being with um, Aurora and all the all the tools and the training that she gave me. And it's kind of a comfort. So before my client comes on the line, I review what we've done last week, and I may have some ideas of where I want to take the client, but I know that that's not the best way. So I usually take myself into meditation, connect to my client heart energy, and I usually pray. I'm here, use me, whatever needs to come through, allow allow it. So I go on to the coaching call, almost an empty slate, ready to serve what's in my client's best interest, not mine. As I say, I've got an idea only because I like to be prepared, but very often we're we're talking and I'll find that that isn't the tool that my client needs and I'll just sense this is the way we need to go. So that's what I, how I prepare myself a client calls me all my calls are done over the phone and um, I find out a little bit about her week and then when we're ready to start I've explained that you cannot you have to be in the present moment to be able to move forward because if you're in the past you're going to move forward bringing the past with you you cannot be in the in the future because We just don't know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. And if we are in the future, it's usually fear-based. So I explain all this. So we have to be in the present moment. 
and I bring the client into the present moment by taking them on a simple breathing exercise. And I teach them how to do the three-part breathing, and it's a, a Buddhist meditation. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. Mm. And I, I do that about three times. And I've asked my clients, I said, do you do this with me? And some have said yes, sometimes they don't. And I said, how do you feel when you actually are physically smiling? And they say <laughs> they feel so much better. So I know it works. Just putting that smile on your face makes you feel better. So I, I do that. And then I will tell them to continue breathing um, while I set the intent for, for our time. And I have this intent where... I will connect us both to the divine. And I've already explained to my client if they use whatever language, it can be God, goddess, mm -hmm. the universe, whatever is comfortable. And I'll use that. And I'll usually say things like whatever is in my clients, and then I'll, I'll use their name, best interest. And it probably takes about two minutes, and then I end it with... So it, so it is, and so it, so it will be, and so it is. Um, and I think one of the things is all this that I've asked and more, and I know that it's already been done before I've asked, and then I, then I end it. So it's just setting a nice, calm opening for us to continue to coach. Now, that's, that's a good start. That's, that is, when you start something off, especially the smile thing, you guys got to try this. No matter what you're doing, no matter what mood you're in, stop. I don't care if you got to go in the bathroom so no one will see you. And just smile. And even if you don't feel like smiling, just hold that smile. By, the fourth, by about four seconds in, you're going to really be smiling. It's going to invoke something and bring something out of your chest. And you're going to really be smiling. So you've got everybody... A little bit um, in a different mentality, a lighter spirit, a higher frequency, have you? And then you take it from there, and that's way better than starting off <laughs> in the grieving phase. And um, I'm not, I'm not gonna say negativity, but in that, honestly, I would guess it would be negativity anyway. You know, because it's, it's the opposite of positivity, and uh, and that person's probably been thinking that all day since the incident happened, since before the incident, actually. You know, whether they're at the hospital or whatever the case is. Yeah. And so you, you go through all the steps and you talk with them. You get intuitive. It's one of the things I love about Anne. She gets intuitive. And when you silence your brain and you listen to God, he'll whisper things to you. And sometimes you might be thinking, why, why would I say that out loud? <laughs> but that's what he wants you to say out loud. So I encourage you to say it. Now, don't go cut your boss out. I'm not talking about that. Okay, <laughs> there's different levels to it, but um, yeah, Anne uses intuition a lot with her clients. She used it on me earlier. It was great. I'm totally cured now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending you my bill later. Yes, we're, yes, she's we're, gonna we're be, fine. <laughs> she's gonna be sending me the bill. Um, I, but I, I want to talk about the book now. Anne has a book called Grief's Abyss: Finding Your Path to Peace. Anne, can you give us as much about the book as you want to? And I know some people want to keep the secrets in there so you can get the book. Other people just want to give it all. You know what I mean? Just give us whatever you want to give about the book. Uh, just let us know, yeah. you know what it's about, how it plays through, and uh, cover to cover. Well, it all starts with how the book came about. I needed a roadmap to be able to... Um, come up with chapters and I don't work the same way as many authors do I don't do the mind dump I don't put the chapters in to order I kept saying I need a road map and I was looking to perhaps do some kind of road map as my chapters it wasn't coming wasn't coming wasn't coming I woke up one morning and I had two or three lines to the poem that's in the very beginning of the book called The Journey. Well, I got out of bed, grabbed my notepad, and within mm, probably an hour, I had this poem written. And the poem is what guided the book, the chapters in the book. And my editor was absolutely delighted 
that I'd finally come up with a way that I could start getting the, the chapters. And I say I channeled this book because there are times when I don't even remember writing these sections. Um, I'll, I'll be looking for something and I'll go, oh, I wrote that? I don't think so. That doesn't sound like me. That's, so it, that, that's that intuition. That's what I'm talking about. It was divinely inspired. Can I just read you the, the, one, of the, one of the things? Because I'm so proud of this. Yes, please, bring it. So it's called The Journey. The river of life flows through us all. Then when a death occurs, we get to fall into grief's abyss, a dark, unfamiliar place, down into the valley where we all must face. How to cope with all the changes when the familiar landscape rearranges. <laughs> Gone are the roads and highways once traveled as our lives become unraveled. Ah, somebody got skills. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> anyway, that, if you read it, it more or less takes you through the, the grieving process. And I sort of end it with the wheels of Samara turns and the cycle of life continues. Oh. Even talks about grief's gifts, yes? Grief can give some amazing gifts. I feel that one of the grief, the gifts that my dad gave to me is the fact that if he hadn't have died and I hadn't fallen into my grief's abyss, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. I wrote this book because I could not find what I was looking for to help me understand what the heck I was going through. I thought I was losing, losing my mind. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was that crazy. And being a nurse, I understood the, the, the passage of death. But what I didn't and what nursing school had not taught me was how to deal with the emotions around it. So when I had spoken to a psychiatrist or psychologist, I can't remember which one now, they said grief will be, everybody's different, it'll take as long as it takes, um, and you never get over your grief. I thought, well, that's a load of rubbish. So I went on my own healing journey, and I can tell you today, I believe it's a choice. It's a choice whether you want to heal from grief I've had two deaths now, mom and dad, and I can talk about them. They're here in my heart. I have pictures of them. I talk to them. I don't have that huge hole in my heart. It's gone. It's, it's healed. And now I want to ask you this because I've, I've actually encountered this. Some people say, just, just let me grieve. Um, they just want to grieve, and and I'm talking about weeks later, it's now affecting their jobs. They're, they're about to get fired from taking off too much, showing up late, moping around, not producing. It's affecting their families, and they're still saying, "Just let me grieve." And at some point, I mean, you know, you got to say something to them. Now, in this situation, you being the professional, what, where where would you be at with it? Well, I would attempt to find out. Why, I mean, you definitely have to grieve. And I believe three months you're in that really intense. And having to go to work is not an easy task. Mm -hmm. um, if you remember grief, according to Dr. Stephen Hawkins, grief is 75. And for you to be productive at work, you have to be up there at, this is energy-wise, mm -hmm. around the 400. So 75 to 400, there's kind of a bit of a stretch so this is another part of my mission is to be able to educate businesses that when somebody has is dealing with a loss they're not going to be as productive and the best way you can help them is to give them a the time off at the beginning if you we get uh, here in Canada we get about I think I was given five days from off work Honestly, where I work in a hospital, so five days is nothing. You're barely just getting over the funeral, and then you, you're back at work and you're expected to produce. So take sick time, 
take uh, holiday time if you can and just allow yourself to process. The head wants to move on, the heart needs to heal. And the only way to do it is by keep telling your story, to journal, to remember the good times, even start a gratitude uh, journal. Um, but if somebody is going on longer, six months yeah, to a year, long. and they're still in that, then something else deeper has gone on. They've gone into complicated grief, and they really do need to seek medical help because being in the grief, there's all these chemicals, uh, the... You've got the, the cortisol, the adrenalines are all mm -hmm. flying around, and you're not accessing the cortisols, the, uh, not the cortisols, the dopamines, the serotonins, mm -hmm. which are the feel-good hormones. There's a disconnect there. So you need medical help because there could be more losses that they haven't processed. They may need more therapy or medical intervention to help stabilize their moods. Now, Anne had sent me a chart uh, that she made up. Um, she had given a lot of credit to, to David, David Hawkins. And I want you guys to think of it like this. Um, as people, we vibrate at frequencies. And we're just going to just throw out some numbers. Grief puts you at a frequency of 75. That's what you're vibrating at when you're in the grief process. So for you to actually get angry, anger is 150, so that's double that. So for you to actually get angry is you to raise your frequency. And then, to take it a step further, it was it was 400 or 500 to be productive at work? Uh, he calls it reason, but we need yeah. to be in that, that our prefrontal cortex to be able to access our decision-making tools and our, um, our reasoning skill. So you gotta be in the hundreds. So you are way beneath that, rightfully so. Rightfully so. You're going through some things. I understand. But, uh, you know, make sure you're, you got, you're in the right headspace. You know, if you have to get there, get there. You definitely want to, don't want to lose your job because that's just going to give you more reasons to grieve, more reasons to be angry, you know, more reasons, you know, you're going through all this other stuff. No need to compound it, you know. Um, now, here's the question. I know a lot of people would, uh, would normally be asking... Uh, me, uh, my biggest challenge with thoughts become things is people don't believe that they're manifesting the bad things into their lives. Um, they, when, when something good happens, they're like, yeah, thoughts become things, but if something bad happens, they're like, I didn't do that, I wasn't thinking about that, when in actuality they were preparing for it, they were running scenarios all day, what they would do if that happened, and they were watering that seed, and they're upset now that the flower's in front of them. But... When it comes to a death in the family or something, you know, that you would be grieving over. I'm going to say, picture someone asking you, okay, I believe in thoughts become things, but how can it be true? I didn't manifest this person dying. And what would you say to that? Well, absolutely not. You are only responsible for you. They are responsible for them. If you were perhaps saying, I wish this person was dead and they die, then I guess you're going to go into the guilt and the shame of having had that thought. But we have to take responsibility for our own thoughts. And a lot of clients who will believe the books, the psychiatrist, even Google, a lot of it says, you, you, you'll never heal from grief. You'll never heal it. You'll never get over your grief. Well, I, I don't agree with that. I, for one, don't buy into that. So it's a choice, a choice of your beliefs. What is behind that? Then if you believe that you, if you buy into that belief and there's other reasons why you would want to buy into that belief, that's, that's exactly what you're going to see. If you go into the fear and say, well, I'm on my own. If it was a partner that has died, I'm on my own, and you're in the fear. How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to do this? Then you're thinking all those things, which isn't going to be productive in helping you move along instead of saying, 
okay, um, I never took care of the finances. I guess I better go to the bank and see if I can get a better handle on how much money I have. Mm -hmm. Where is my money at? So just by taking action and having that thought, they are now moving into a different belief system. They've all of a sudden managed to navigate their finances. Can you imagine how good they're going to feel? Mm-hmm. By writing their first check, by paying a bill, if the husband always did it, they're going to feel pretty, pretty proud of themselves. But if they remain in that, oh, how am I going to manage, how am I going to manage, and you're just spinning your wheels around those thoughts, then that's exactly where you're going to stay. You know, I, I always, when people ask me that, because I do get that a lot, <laughs> I mean, as soon as you start mentioning thoughts become things, automatically people take get defensive a little bit, because you're kind of in their face telling them that, you know, you're, what's happening to you is your fault. Um, I, always, it, I, I think it's about collective energy. You know, it, let's say my grandmother, she passed away uh, a few years back, and during her final years, the whole family was worried about when she was going to pass away, when she was going to mm-hmm. pass away. So we're spending our energy dollars, I say energy dollars, you know, God gives yeah. us energy yeah. dollars to spend on whatever we want. We were spending, as everyone does, you know, when someone's getting older, you naturally start to think, all right, you know, we got to prepare, you know, the time might be coming soon, hopefully they last longer. So we're all kind of watering the seed of that Plus, she knew she was getting old. She could feel her internal parts way better than anyone else could. So she's watering seeds, and, and you know, eventually the plant grew, and uh, she moved on to the next level. But I try, to, I try to give it to people like that. You know, it's not your fault, you know, per se, but collective energy. You know, collective energy, uh, mass psychology, there's different, there's different terms for it. But mm-hmm. thoughts become things uh, is definitely true. I wouldn't take it too far and start blaming yourself, you know, for for the bad things like that. But yeah. um, you know, there's there's ways around it. Just don't take it to a negative spot like that. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you weren't directly responsible for your grandfather passing away. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, that's it, it, that's a big one. That's a big one for me. Well, the thoughts that thoughts that become things can be a self fulfilling prophecy if you are thinking the negative all all the time rather than being positive. I remember hearing a story of this young man who lost his job. He was lying on the couch, he was losing everything and sending out resumes and could so totally have, have gotten taken under by his situation. He started a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. And he, saw, he posted it online, and he wrote a book. He got a great job, and now just from thinking, uh, being a victor and not a victim, he totally changed his life. So thoughts do become things. It depends where your focus is. It's so funny you say that, because uh, I've, been, I've been in Los Angeles for the past week, but I, I'm dedicated today. I have, uh, everybody sees my videos, right behind me is a vision board, you know, it's got some pictures of me doing some things, me with Lamborghini, uh, some, of my, some of my favorite dishes, uh, the inside of like private jets, yachts, you know, things like that, and um, you know, places I like to see myself, but honestly, I can't even really remember when's the last time I looked at that, you know, and, but someone gave me a great idea, he said, instead of making a vision board, make a gratitude board. And that, right, because I know parts of, a lot of things on this vision board are things that I've already done that I want to do again. Like pictures of me with a Lambo, me getting my, my makeup done uh, for a photo shoot, limos, you know, stuff like that. A lot of them are things that I've already done so I can feel it and feel happy, you know, and actually it's not a fake feeling. Like, like I've never been to the Bahamas. So this picture of the Bahamas, when I try to envision myself there, the ego steps in and says, you're not there, you're sitting in the room. But the <laughs> other ones... You know, where I'm actually doing those things, the ego can't really say nothing. I can really get into it. So that is my next thing, a gratitude board. That, mm. I think everyone should have one of those. I haven't experimented with it yet. I'm going to put it up right there behind that door. And, because um, I always have the door closed. And I'll be able to look at it. And, uh, I expect greatness from that. Because I know the feeling, 
of accomplishing that brings more of that, you know, whatever that is. So that's absolutely. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to do that. Um, I want to talk now about the webinar. Um, three com- yes. three common beliefs that will keep grieving women stuck and keep them from healing. Now she says women because men are normally stubborn and don't want to admit that they need help. And that's as a man, I know how it is. You know what I'm saying? I'm a life coach, and sometimes I. I'm kind of just too stubborn, you know, but um, occasionally my heart tells me to open up and listen, and then I meet someone like Anne that opens me up the way she did. Let me tell you something. She cracked me open like an egg before I hit, before we started this show. She, uh, she cracked me open like an egg, and I loved it. Um, but yeah, the, the webinar, three common beliefs that will keep grieving women stuck and keep them from healing. Give us a little bit about that. Well, I'm going to be... Um uh, I guess broadcasting it uh, probably either on YouTube, Zoom I, I'm not sure, I, I have a, a producer that helps me with it uh, I, I just stand there and talk and do my thing and, and she does the rest it's going nice. to be uh, February the 7th at 7 o'clock and I can certainly uh, if anybody is interested, I can certainly give you more details, you said, you, you uh, Neo, said, if you would like. You said February 7th? February the 7th at 7. At uh, what, what time zone is that? Um, the same as you are, Eastern. Okay, okay, Eastern time zone. It's only when we switch to the West Coast that we're th- about three hours yeah, yeah, I was stuck in that for the past week over yeah. in Los Angeles. It was so <laughs> funny because people wanted to hang out, and they're like, come on, let's go hang out. You know, it's 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and I'm, I'm dead tired. And I'm like, you don't understand, this is 2 in the morning for me. This is when I go to sleep every night. But, um, all right, so the three common beliefs. What, what are the three common beliefs? Well, you'll have to listen to the webinar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, there is... Um, the three common beliefs, apart from if you want to hear a little bit more, join the webinar uh, in February. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you a very quick rundown. As women, we are very good at over-caring. We all run ourselves down, taking care of everybody else's needs, except our own. And to the point where it's detrimental, if you're grieving and you're running around doing all this, you're in low energy anyway, so not getting your own tanks filled up, then you're you're not going to be in a very happy place. Uh, Another myth is time will heal. So you sit there and you wait and you wait. Mm -hmm. But it's taking action and being supported and being committed to your own healing Mm. that is actually going to move you through that. But if you believe it, then that is one of the the ways you can keep yourself stuck. The um, other one is your emotions. Mm-hmm. Now, we've touched on the emotions, but I go into it a little bit more. If you don't allow yourself to feel, the emotions can get stuck in your body. You can con- cause all kinds of physical ailments, psychological problems. You can get busy at work so as not to take care of your emotions. You can get into uh, binge drinking, binge eating, smoking too much as a way of not help, because you don't want to feel what it is you're feeling. So I go into all these and I give everybody great information on what to do, what not to do, and what to do. Now... You, you touched on something just now that rung in my mind, not allowing yourself to heal, uh, becoming so busy on purpose, you know, things like that, uh, letting the rat race of life take you over. What are some of the worst things that can happen if you do that? Because I, I know people who have had a death in the family that they just had years ago that they just haven't let heal up yet. They, they've, mm-hmm. just, they've just tried to creep past it. Uh, by staying busy. What, what, mm-hmm. is, what are some of the long-term effects of that? Well, it can uh, really affect your everyday uh, level of happiness. Mm-hmm. It can create very angry situations. Uh, you can get stuck in the, the blame. 
I don't know if, um, I, I, oh, bless his heart, Prince Harry, probably um, last year, yeah, he came out saying that he actually, for the first time in his life, had seen, see, sought help, I don't know if it was psychology, a therapist, whatever, but he, he had therapy. In 20 years since his mum, Princess Diana, died, he had not looked at it. He was into risk-type behaviours. He was into all kinds of anger. He was out of control. Mm. And it was all because he had never spoken. He didn't want to. It made him sad, yeah. which, is, natural. which is natural. Yeah. But he is so happy. Well, look at him because he has, he's now engaged and he's having a blast. So... Having a take blast care with of, life. Take care of it. Don't run. Because if you don't, it may be this one time you get away with it. But if you keep compounding it, it's only going to be sort of unresolved grief on top of unresolved grief. It's going to come out somewhere. Yeah, that's that's a big one right there. That is a big one. It's it's it's. I always say that your thoughts thoughts are like a house. You know, you could pray and paint the pretty walls and put pictures up and give it brand new carpet, but if the foundation is crappy, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And if you have and some deep-rooted, underlying something, then it is what it is. That's your thought foundation, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and you owe it to yourself to spend more of your life happy than not. I'm not going to say sad, I'm not going to say angry, upset, but more happy than not. You know, every moment's mm -hmm. precious. Yeah. And that's one of the gifts of grief, if you allow it. It's going to shatter your foundation so that it will bring you to your knees, so that you can examine your beliefs, you can examine your thoughts, you can decide what it is you want for your future. It's almost like you're putting all the good bits back as you're rebuilding your life so that you can move through it into a happier better place and you know the whole reason Anne does what she does is 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 because of this simple phrase right here you are not alone you don't have to go through this alone you don't have to figure this out on your own because if you try just like probably 99% of the people out there you're not you're not going to figure this out. You're going to go through these things. You're, you're gonna, your foundation is going to be not what it to its full potential. You're not alone. There are people out there that can help you with this, and definitely Anne is one of them. Anne, give us a you know, give us a little plug. Let everybody know how they can find you. Uh, you know, the webinar, the book, where they can find the book, Skype sessions. You know, give us all that good stuff. Okay. I um, Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I have two websites. One is my coaching website, which is um, reconnect-from-grief. Okay. The other one is uh, for my book, which I'm sort of developing where my course is and if people are interested in signing up for the free webinar, they can sign up there. And that is Anne with an E, Zubut, D-E-B-U-T-T-E dot -E com. They can get access to the book, which will bring them onto Amazon. Doesn't matter where they are in the world. I've got it on the Canadian, so CA. I've got it on the American, COM, and I've got it in Britain, UK. So... They're well covered. It's in a soft cover and it's in Kindle. And what else can I tell? Oh, yes, if you buy the book, you can come back to the... There's a big black button. You can press on it and you can get a free download of the workbook that accompanies it because I get you to do homework even by reading the book. There's reflection questions at the end of each chapter and the, the workbook just accompanies it. And it's free. So... I love it. I love it. Anne is absolutely necessary. You have life coaches that work with depression, but not everybody goes to depression. I got an ADHD coach. Um, I got um, for uh, neo -positive, uh, the Neopositivity Group, ADHD coach, domestic violence coach, but not everybody's been through all those things. But everybody at one point in their life is going to go through grief. Everybody is, you know, because that's just life. 
People come and they go. And that's why we got people like Ann helping us out. <laughs> thank you, Ann, for coming on the show, sharing all your wisdom with us. Uh, you know, once again, thank you for my little therapy session before the oh, show. <laughs> my pleasure, Neo. Anytime. You've got my number. <laughs> all right. Thank you for coming on. Uh, this has definitely been a great show. Uh, thank you to Sarah Choi for making all this possible. Thank you to Self Discovery Radio. This has been Thoughts Become Things International, retraining your thought process. I am Nehemiah Davila, a.k.a. Neopositivity. You guys already know, neopositivity.com, Facebook, live streams, talk shows, off the bench. You know, you guys know. Just go check me out. And uh, I'll see you back here next week at the same time. I love you guys. And, you know, stay sharp, stay positive. Thoughts Become Things. No complaining. No complaining. All right? I'll see you on the next one. Later.